Hello, everyone. Welcome to Marketing Operations Confessions. So just to get started, I'll start with some uh, housekeeping items before I introduce Jasmine. Feel free to leverage the chat. I think we are live today, so it's a great place and moment to uh, interact, ask questions, introduce yourself. We have great folks as well in the room, so feel free to share your LinkedIn so that you can connect you know, after that, that session. Um, there will be a few polls, so that would be great if you participate so we can you know, learn from each other. And for that session, everybody will be muted, but again, chat could be uh, a good way to communicate. And we will be recording that session, so uh, if there are things you want to go back to, uh, you will receive an email with that piece. Uh, or if there are things you want to share uh, with, with folks, uh, that's also something you can do. Uh, last but not least, uh, for every session that you attend, you are uh, being part of a drawing for a chance to win a drone. So that drone is pretty cool, actually. Uh, and that's for April, so we'll have the result at the end of the month. And we'll do a, another uh, prize for, for May. So stay tuned on, on that one. All right, let's get to the interesting piece. Uh, I'm, I'm very glad to welcome Jasmine today. Uh, hi, Jasmine. Hi. Uh, for way of introduction, so Jasmine is a sales operations senior analyst at uh, Lessonly. Uh, Lessonly, it's an enablement software that makes continuous training and coaching possible for all customer-facing teams, quote unquote. Uh, so B2B SaaS, I think a lot of us can relate uh, to that. Uh, Jasmine is also part of uh, Women of Revenue Collective. And what's quite a, kind of special, I think, for, for, for Jasmine is you started with a degree in psychology. Your father is um, a Six Sigma expert, so he likes statistical sides. You actually worked in all kinds of different roles, uh, including sales role, before you went into operations. And uh, I think one question that we often get and something that uh, in marketing operations uh, we, we struggle a bit with is, this building that trust with sales, you know, sales in is one of the key end users that we serve as marketing ops professionals. Uh, trust can be uh, long to build and it can go away very fast. So we'd love your experience given your background in ops, but also your background, you know, as a sales person as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I definitely absolutely think that uh, my background in sales helps uh, when I when I build operations um, and different processes and tools. And I think what really um, helps in that is that I can, you know, be the mind of the sales rep and the end user. And I like to design and build process in the same way that a product developer might think about how they build their product. So when I design new processes, I'm constantly thinking about adoption and use and overall user experience. And so when I want to build trust in a relationship with my end users, I'm consistently thinking about what's going to make them like the process that I'm doing and actually do the process that I'm building um, to get the best out of data validation um, and accountability um, in what we're designing. Oh, that's a that, that's a challenge. When I hear like, I, I will try to make them like a process, uh, that's almost mm -hmm. an oxymoron. Um, can you share more on, on, on that piece on how do you, uh, what's your process on your end to, to, to do that discovery? Like you're almost thinking of it as a product adoption. 
what's mm -hmm. your what kind of steps do you go through when you want to uh yourself seem to adopt a new process and maybe if you take a specific example uh to to share to share on that yeah absolutely so i think it really just starts with empathy um is i think the the biggest piece there so um if i'm sitting on the seat um, of a sales rep for example and uh, i want them to i'm reutilizing salesforce and i want them to build a quote in in our salesforce instance i don't want to make them press the same button five different times to get something approved i would like to allow them to just press a button once because they're going to feel better um, about that process because it's fast and easy and simple and they're going to do that rather than create potentially you know custom word document contracts you know, rather than the system that we designed that works with our legal team and works for all of our business partners across the board um, so just always keeping them in mind as if I was sitting in that seat what would I want to be designed and I usually start with actually shadowing a sales rep especially when I start in a new role or a new organization and seeing what their biggest pains are today. In the same way that a sales rep identifies pains and use cases for their potential customer, I'm identifying pains and use cases for each individual end user of the tech stack I'm designing. Interesting. On the shadowing, like, do you, yeah, can you can you maybe zoom in on that one? Like, do you go to one random uh, team member and say, can I sit with you today or? Uh, yeah, that's usually what I do. Um, it, when I started at Lessonly, which was um, just a few months ago, um, I actually asked some sales managers to give me um, some sales reps that I could sit with for a couple hours um, throughout the week. And I, I loved asking that because my first question was, do you want someone who's really good at the tech stack or someone who's really bad at using the tech stack? And I laughed and I said, both, please. Um, because someone who is really good at using it, I think is a great example of this is, you know, our ideal person, um, but that's not who I'm always designing for. I'm designing for the person who struggles with tech stack because I want to make them a, a, as able to use it as a person who's really good at using technology. That's super interesting. And when you sit, so you ask you as a sales manager, give you a few names, then you go sit, like literally you take your seat, you go you know, behind them and you you, you, you watch. Yeah, in this virtual world, it was uh, it was more of a screen share situation. Um, but I have done it, you know, when we were back in the office um, in, in previous iterations of, you know, when I'm trying to work with a new team, um, like, for example, um, you know, we have a services team at our organization and I had worked with them previously, but we're implementing a new tool for them. And I'm trying to understand what are the, you know, objects in Salesforce that you use today and how do you use them? And uh, what are all the processes you already have designed? And what are your pain points about that? What is really cumbersome? for some for you today and how can I fix and solve for that so you have more time in your day and ultimately the company makes more money that's that's, that's yeah that's the first time I hear the shadowing like this that's the, that's that's pretty pretty cool and communication wise on the um, you know often we, we sometimes we talk about the um, you know I, I'm, I'm originally from France I have an accent and I can see communication how important that is uh, but sales, sales and marketing, we belong to GTM and revenue, but there is often a different like mindset language. Any uh, recommendation or advice or thing that you've learned on how, you know, what, how do we speak well to sales in a way that, you know, is not marketing? Yeah, absolutely. I think the benefit of my role at Lessonly, what makes uh, my role unique is that I am sales operations. However, I am also marketing operations at Lessonly. And that is because our uh, sales SDR team uh, rolls up into marketing. Um, and we do not have a designated marketing operations person at Lessonly. And so I am also helping to manage Marketo, email automation, lead conversion, um, and also work with our demand gen manager on a day to day. And so 
um, I kind of have a background in, in both in supporting both those teams. Um, and the way I see um, marketing speak is usually, of course, they're, you know, you know, top of the funnel. Um, and they like to think in the way they're constantly thinking, the way they um, they focus all their email communication on is usually around how is the prospect going to feel about our brand, about our image? Um, what is, I want them to click on this email. I want them to engage. So they're trying to um, just get a feeling or emotion tied to the content they're providing. And sales tends to think about not just an emotional relationship, but also a strong use case for the product that we're actually trying to sell. And so they're thinking about, that's nice that you really like us, you like our brand and you like our product, but I want to make sure that it's something you can actually use. So I think where that gets married very well, when sales and marketing can really align and their strongest points is when we talk about success stories. When we have that emotional driving point that gets people to click and engage and understand and there's clarity and it and it's a great representation of the brand, but also ties right back to use cases that make sense for sales. So that customer can eventually buy into the product when they have a matching use case. I love that. I can relate. I think sometimes I've, I've heard that uh, sales saying that marketing helps sell the vision, but prospects don't just buy the vision. They need to buy a use case and a pain point they have right now. Exactly. Um, interesting. And anything not to do, like when you want, like things that will push salespeople away. Like I've seen a few things sometimes when we talk about things where sales will like be polite, but we are not creating adoption. Like any, especially when we come from marketing, what are those kind of, you know, don't do, uh, Type of thing. Yeah, so um, I have a really funny story when it comes what not to do. Um, I actually worked with an organization who will not be named, um, where marketing actually did not partner with sales. Um, and we saw a lot of marketing campaigns that did not translate to the way that sales operated at all. Um, and there was a sweepstakes campaign, and marketing was taking every single entry into that sweepstakes that they were offering as a sales lead. And they considered and they were of the mind that because we were getting all this great information from a wide variety of sources of people who were interested, somewhat interested, they thought in the product, um, that that meant that sales should follow up on every single one. And I think there's always that fight of what is intent and what is buy-in, um, you know? And so I think um, marketing is, I definitely think in order to get a stronger buy-in and sales, they have to agree with what you are defining as intent with, with prospect and, and demand gen in general. That's yes, that that you're touching on something that's uh, very sensitive. I think this gap between look, I bring you a lead, the lead gave their email address, so there is some kind of intent. Why don't you reach out and sell saying, look, this person is not ready to buy, it's not nurtured enough, right? So, and the often I think you're right, there is a, a huge gap there. Um, how do you work that out? Like, how do you bridge that gap? Like, is it, you know, you mentioned, hey, you need to align on that piece. What's, what kind of conversation can, do you usually practice? Sure. So in that particular example that I mentioned, um, where I started is I actually started um, handing over to marketing the cost scripts that our SDR team was actually utilizing and saying, this is the basis of how we structure our conversations when we're talking to these people. This is the questions that we're asking to qualify them for the next stage in the sales process. And I think having those qualifying questions up front and in the hands of marketing gives them a better idea of how things are further moving down the funnel and not just hovering at the top and, and coming in through sales as MQLs. But, um, you know, understanding how do we get this messaging and this branding all the way down to closed one opportunities and not just passed over to sales and then we never think about it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, since we're talking about interaction between sales and marketing, there is also a question, I think, of org chart, uh, where things have changed quite a lot. I think marketing operations, you know, sometimes belongs to the marketing organizations. Sometimes it belongs to now like the RevOps uh, organization. Uh, it can belong to even like the CFO. Um, if you if you are marketing ops professionals today and you are thinking about what kind of company do I want to work with, what kind of org is best for me? Because I hear the other way around. Sometimes I talk to CMOs and on my end, I hear a lot of CMOs telling me, no, no, I like marketing ops to be in my team, like in my marketing team because I have control. That's the view of a CMO. But from a marketing ops uh, perspective and from a career perspective, what's your experience? What do you, yeah, what do you recommend? I am definitely under the belief of the opposite of that. I think marketing ops should absolutely live under revenue operations. So that might be my hot take for the day. Um, but the reason for that is, is I strongly believe that as a marketing ops person, they're becoming more and more and more increasingly um, technical, technical. Um, especially with tools like Marketo, Tableau, and, and all of those great other uh, tools that are out there today. Um, and when you have a very technical person uh, working on a team that is full of wonderful, creative people, you're going to um, butt heads, I think, a lot, and especially when you're defining metrics, when you're uh, trying to define build processes that work for the rest of business partners across the organization. And I think within revenue operations, if you if your revenue operations team is looking to own all go-to-market systems, uh, that's where marketing operations should live as well. Um, because then you have the benefit of being able to partner across every area of the funnel and not just the top. Because if you are reporting directly to the CMO, your head is going to be in the top of the funnel all day long. But if you are on the revenue operations team, you're going to be able to speak to leaders all the way down into customer success and services and support and make sure that everything marketing and branding aligns to their vision of, of what their teams are doing and, and how they're supporting customers or how they're reaching out to prospects on the day-to-day. -day. And then the other benefit of that is being on a revenue operations team is you're going to be on the direct team with everyone else who's technical. So you, uh, you know, will be on the Salesforce or, or HubSpot admin that you have, um, or um, you will be uh, with people who own different areas of the tech stack. And so you'll be able to align all of the ways that those connect together. Um, and you know, in your daily standups, really have a pulse on how those all speak together and, and, and make sense for the company as a whole. That's an interesting point of view. It's opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and if I if I if I mention maybe a few highlights, just saying one is there is a technicality in the ops role where if you are alone in the marketing team with no real technical people around, harder to grow, harder to collaborate, right? Mm -hmm. um, I also highlight on the. Um, uh, the the full funnel, like having you know, aligning basically the marketing operations all the way to revenue and even retention. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's easier when you have just one team uh, on, on that piece. Yeah. Uh, is it creating also challenges on that one? Because if not everybody's doing that setup, like what are some of the challenges that comes when you know you have that one function of revenue ops compared to having ops team belonging to uh, to different teams? Yeah, I would see that if marketing ops was still rolling up to the CMO, you're um, at danger of being very siloed. I feel like the conversations will uh, be mostly staggered um, around, uh, you know, events that you might be hosting um, or um, just only marketing metrics um, and then only focused on um, engagement on the top of a funnel, you know, piece, as, as I had mentioned. Um, and then just, you know, CMO having control of operations in general means that they're not going to share uh, that, you know, wonderful 
marketing metrics and content that they have with the rest of the organization. Um, but I can also see how a marketing ops person um, being on a revenue operations team, if the role is strictly marketing ops, um, can then take them away from uh, the rest of the marketing team and making sure that they are fully aligned. But I think as much as a weekly or you know biweekly, if needed, meeting to align with the marketing team is as much as I need to be a sales operations person on the revenue operations team. Um, so I don't think it's it's that far of a stretch to, to say that that is the place they should be because in my role as a sales operations person, I meet with multiple different sales teams all across the funnel and I and I see a lot of success in that. That's very interesting. I think Hannah uh, mentioned, you know, that's a question I think everybody have opinions about and different experiences also with. So um, if you, I think there is a poll where, uh, you know, we can share uh, what our experiences are. So that's that's would be interesting to look at. Um, and since we're talking about org and, and maybe like, let's say power and politics, there is uh, always some of it uh, in, in, in the workplace that often impact the, the stack. And I think, you know, the stack can be uh, complex. I think a lot of uh, us, we complain about how you know, too many tools, they overlap too much with each other. Uh, adoption is, is, is low. Uh, we're not you know, leveraging the stack. We need to simplify, rationalize. What's, uh, I think you, you mentioned like when we talked before, uh, you know, some experience there. So we'd love to get a bit, a bit of your insight on how to align, you know, the part, like the impact of politics on the stack and what to do about it. Yeah, so I have very strong opinions about that, and and I believe that revenue operations should, uh, um, in at least some capacity, own all to, or go to market tech stack. And I, um, you know, I've seen success in that previously because when we rely on sales managers or um, or other business leaders to be data scientists, um, they are, you know, it's not a core piece of their job in a lot of ways. You know, where sales managers are great coaches, they're they're great at talk tracks and and speaking to the brand and managing their team, um, and then we also have to manage a tool like potentially SalesLoft or other tools out there, um, that is not going to be their main focus of their day-to-day. -day. They are not going to be able to utilize those tools to what I believe is their full potential. So getting that in the hands of the technical people who design those processes and understand those tools in a deep level and potentially have admin certifications in those tools, that is who should own them and, and be um, managing the uh, uh, overall processes in there. And then maybe in the day-to-day -day can be managed by those leaders, but not in an administrative or technical capacity. Interesting. So you're saying because the solution to like the the, the war on the tech stack is to have RevOps owned so that now you have more consistency across the full funnel, across the different teams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, one of the first things I, I started doing when I joined Lessonly was was ask for admin logins in, into all tools, and and I had to ask a wide variety of people at the company, and uh, a lot of questions that came up was, oh, I don't know who's managing that today. Uh, let, let let me get you the answer to that, or I think it's this person. Why don't you message them? And and just not a lot of clarity of, of who to go to. But if RevOps is is the go to person, then there's a centralized um, a, you know knowledge base area of of how to do things in that tool, and um, and they're able to provide much deeper documentation because this is what we do every day. That's interesting. Yeah, I've seen this, those situations a lot where in marketing ops, we don't have access to Salesforce in some ways. Sometimes we don't even have a login with Salesforce, not even like admin logins, but a login itself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I can relate to that, yeah. Um, and talking of uh, standardization and, and, and having that consistency, uh, something that's interesting in your job title is you have a, a analyst, like it's sales mm -hmm. operations analyst. Uh, why is he, why is the analyst? 
Yeah, sure. So um, I, I love that question too. Um, and, and I really enjoyed seeing that in my title when I applied for the position uh, at first. And I think it's just because um, in that uh, overarching ownership and, and how I our team actually reports directly to the CFO, um, we see R as a centralized uh, standardization of metrics and overall analysis of you know what our ARR is every quarter, what our benchmark metrics are going to be, commissions, quotas. Um, we really see that as an, an underarm of finance. And so having that analyst title um, really means that I can go to each, each individual stand, uh, sales leader and tell them, this is what our win rates, this is how we should measure them. This is how we should um, measure every individual metric that we're doing. And these are the best practices we can implement. Um, and that analyst title gives me the power to um, kind of own all of the metrics and, and data. Um, and so that it can also speak to data accountability, accessibility, and all the processes that I design. Um, so I really like having that in my title to kind of speak to that ownership. That's very interesting because I think what you're saying is often in operations, we you, know, we, you have a lot of process to put in place and that's part of the, the, the role. But um, what's very interesting is you're saying there is a role as well of alignment on the metrics. Like so that, you know, there is no silo in how we, we measure things and that's we have that just one funnel that everybody agrees on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and these conversations have been coming up just recently um, where we had a question today on, hey, I'm measuring closed one uh, one rights this way and you're measuring it this way. How should it be? And, and I get to ha have an opinion about that and, you know, have a seat at the table and, and speak to um, a way that gets everyone aligned. Interesting. And if we talk about as rev ops and marketing ops, um, when you're in marketing ops, any skills that's required to just like label yourself sales uh, revenue operations or what's is it just a branding thing and an organization structure which i think the organization structure is very valid but it seems mm -hmm. today like revops is thrown everywhere to mean all kind of things so wondering if if i was a marketing ops professional is there a skill set i need to build or something i need to do to to to, to belong well to that rev up structure Sure. I think, um, you uh, you know, it's going to be up to the company to decide where that sits. I think if you are a marketing ops person looking for a new role, I would definitely look for revenue operations titles, analyst titles um, that roll up to a revenue operations team. And I think there are, um, I've, I've seen it more often happening where there are marketing people like where they're requesting that to live on the revenue operations team with a hiring manager as a revenue operations director. Um, so what I would encourage to and continue to look for titles like that. What's interesting is that I do have sales operations in my title, um, but that is solely because the, there is a sales team that rolls up into marketing. And so I could potentially have a revenue operations analyst title as well. Um, but I think sales operations still speaks to the unique organizational structure of Lessonly. Interesting. And, and today, uh, talking of that, I think we, you, you report to the CFO, right? Mm -hmm. We are actually um, uh, hiring for a revenue operations director who will then report to the CFO. But yes, as a team, that is who we report to today. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you share a bit more why this why this setup today and kind of where the setup is going? Yeah. So I think um, what's so great and, and unique about that is I in in previous roles um, I have reported directly to a sales leader. Um, but what uh, what that takes away is the ability to work parallel with all revenue teams. Um, so not just um, new business sales um, or not just new business sales and marketing, but I get to work with service and support and, and everything that touches revenue at the organization, um, which allows us that power to have business partners all across the company and not just within one department or team. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's uh, very aligned. Mm -hmm. um, um, and on the up, so we, we talked about a lot of changes on the upside. Uh, it's 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 getting sexy. I think it's uh, used to be something where ops, you know, technical people like be, it was not very recognized. We've seen that in sales operation, revenue operations being like a brand in itself. We see uh, even data ops, you know, data ops, and you see like DevOps. So the ops is everywhere now. So that's uh, I think a, a great trend. What are the things you'd like to see more on the ops space in general? Like, what are the things in you know, the world you'd like to see more of tomorrow? And um, what are the things we can do all in marketing ops to you know to help that? Absolutely. So I love that question because I am a little biased by this, and I think more women in operations is is going to do a lot. And I'm seeing that more and more in the industry. And I think that's just because women are uh, naturally empathetic. And you know, as I mentioned before, empathy is what drives a lot of my day and what to design better processes. Um, someone I spoke to recently who was also a sales operations manager at Form Assembly, Venus. She um, coined a phrase that I I love and I'm sharing with everyone, which is uh, she's seen so often historically or men are very technical people design vanity process and changes, speaking to processes and changes that make sense to them um, and ones that they want to build because they like it and not ones that are actually work for each individual end user. And I feel like women are, are uh, much better at, and maybe this isn't a gendered issue, um, and maybe it's just more empathy and operations is needed in general, but I really love the trend of, of being inclusive and thinking more like a product designer and, and making sure that everything that we're working in and my primary focus is to support teams. And so um, when when I start first working with business leaders and sales leaders, first thing I say is, hey, my Slack inbox is open. I want every single one of your sales reps to feel comfortable and messaging me when they have an issue or a problem because I'm here to support you and, and that's what I'm here for. I am uh, I'm not your coach. I like to think of myself as a pit crew and, and lessonly as the car that drives and I'm just here with my wheel ready to go and, and make the whole organization faster and in the best way that I can. So leading with empathy, leading with uh, ser serving type of leadership where we're here to support the crew. Um, and if so, if, if let's let's maybe do two angles. If you are a woman in marketing ops or ops, any advice for for taking that space? Like yeah. In, yeah. Absolutely. So um, my advice would be to, and if I could speak to myself five years ago, I would to pick up a book. Um, I think I was definitely of the mindset uh, a while ago to learn on the job as much as I could. I had a lot of great mentors throughout my years um, who, who taught me a lot about, you know, lean manufacturing and, and process in general and Six Sigma and um, which got me interested in operations. But I think when I really blossomed is when I really started to understand the underlying language. Um, you know, a lot of an acronyms that we're using on this call even today, I think for anyone new into the industry is a little daunting. Um, and I really relied on people to have conversations with me and explain out all of those topics. But as soon as I, as soon as I started doing more research and, and reading and, and learning, I was able to take that next step in my career. And so I would say, don't be afraid to uh, just download some books and, and start listening and, and learning and, and seeing what's already out there. Oh, you're, you're saying that to uh, the ops community. We're all super busy. We have tons <laughs> on our... <laughs> so you're saying step back, make that time, like read books. Like uh... mm -hmm. Yeah. Someone recently just told me that a book a month is a really great benchmark uh, to start with in, in leveling up with your career. And, and, and that's now um, my uh, New Year's resolution this year has been at least a book a month uh, that is tied to my industry and, and what I'm trying to learn. Are you on track? 
I am on track, no, no actually. <laughs> <laughs> I am on track. I'm actually hoping to get a little bit ahead um, just because I'm, you know, a salesperson at heart. So I got to go above and beyond quota. <laughs> that's, uh, oh, I see Tracy's typing. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a great question. What's, what's a book, any books you recommend? Yeah, so um, I am of the belief that uh, great processes start of breaking it down to the basics. I think sometimes we overcomplicate things and get too much in the weeds. So if you're looking for just like a great foundational book, I definitely recommend The Goal. Um, I loved that one because it's it's really a American economics book, um, but it's really all about how do we break processes down to their most basic form so that for any new process or implementation that you're designing, it follows the same formula and everyone understands that, for example, one of those uh, main tenets in the book is 100% efficiency isn't actually the most efficient. Um, you know, and, and it really makes you think, it gets you thinking creatively and turn our most um, common assumptions about designing processes and efficiency on its head. And that's my favorite part of my job is being creative about the problems that I solve and being able to work backwards a lot of the times to, to solve problems. And, and being able to do that, I think, is really what's laid out in this book. And so just, I think, a great foundational book for, for anyone looking to, to start a career in this. That's great. That's uh, yeah. I haven't read the book, and uh, Hannah just shared the link where I think the we can go and 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 get it. Um, and you you are on track on reading one book a month. How do you make time? Any tips for you know those of us who are like too busy to uh, make that time? Like how do you make it work in your in your week? Yeah, I've actually started doing it in the last hour before I go to bed. Um, I just, you know, pick up where I left off in that book because um, what I used to do, what I'm replacing is that time I just spent scrolling through my phone, um, you know, scrolling through Reddit or whatever, just to wind down for the day. I am now replacing that with my book and I'm finding that I don't miss looking at my phone in that time and and reading really has me engaged. And and then on my next day, I'm, I wake up and it's some of the first things I'm thinking about and I carry it with me in, in my whole next day. And I'm by the end of the night, I'm just excited to get into bed and, and and open up the book I'm reading or listen if it's an audio book. Nice. Thanks for sharing. That's uh <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good tip. <laughs> Thank you. Um let's see if we have any other questions. I know we uh, the time flew very fast. Uh, we'll make a few uh take a few seconds. Ah, I see Hannah typing. We got some good polls as well. All right, I think that's uh, that's going to be it for today. Uh, that was very sweet, uh, Jasmine, to uh, to have you. Uh, feel free, like to the people in the in, in the um, in the webcast, feel free to reach out as well to uh, Jasmine. Uh, I think she's someone fantastic. Uh, talk shop, like sharing your experience with her, listening to her experience. I think the the goal here is to build uh, a community of practitioners. Uh, so thanks, Jasmine, again for for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much. It was wonderful being here. Nice. And I'll take just a few seconds to uh, introduce, I think, the session for uh, next week. Uh, uh, where it's going to be interesting because, Jasmine, you talked about uh, like marketing operations belonging to RevOps. And we'll see what the uh, opinions are, where we're going to look at the power duos. So that's going to be between VP marketing and marketing operations. So that's uh, going to be maybe a, a different view uh, where we'll have so Adam and Jenny from Active Campaign that will describe uh, their relationship.
Cool. Thanks again, Jasmine, for joining. And thanks, everyone, uh, on the call today. Uh, let's see you next week.